The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. I'm so pleased to be able to welcome now to the show my friend Craig McClure. Craig is a missionary serving the Lord in the Dominican Republic. He's also a Red Sox fan who's married to a Braves fan, but somehow they're able to make that work. Craig, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, my pleasure, brother. I'll tell you, buddy, it seems unthinkable that as a young man with a pretty young wife that your one request when going to the mission field was that you wanted to be sent to a place where nobody else wanted to go. And like many other missionaries, God must have given you a remarkable spirit of courage, a spirit of discipline. But yet, after a full year there, nobody had yet come to faith in Christ, and you're still in an area with absolutely zero other believers other than one another. How difficult was that, and how did you remain encouraged about the work you were doing? Well, when Joanna and I accepted the call to come to the Dominican, like you said, we were very specific that we wanted to be sent into an area that nobody else wanted to work. And I believe that's because I I want to believe that I'm so radically God-centered in my ministry, in my theology, in my marriage, in my life, in the way that I parent my kids, that my obedience, my joy, my peace, my encouragement, none of that is contingent on fruit or conversions. I'm not a missionary because I believe that I'm going to save the world. I'm a missionary because God said, go. Go to the dark places. The light shines brightest in the darkest of night. And so I want to think that I could have spent two years, three years, or five years now with no fruit and still been encouraged because of my identity in Christ. God is worthy of their worship, and they don't know it. They're dead. Um, they're they're dead in their sin. They can't see. They're blind. They can't hear. And so my encouragement comes from Scripture. You know, God says, Paul says in Ephesians that God being rich in mercy, while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. That was our greatest encouragement, that God was going to give us fruit. He was going to give us conversion. But even if he didn't, we were going to still press forward because we don't obey to see the fruit. We obey because we're told to obey, and that's what we do. So, you know, Peter said, be ready to give a, a defense for the hope that is within you. And I think a lot of times as missionaries, we're, we feel pressure that that hope is in, well, how much fruit do you have? How many people have been saved? How many churches have you planted? But it's pretty clear that that hope is Jesus and not on how people respond or receive us. And so that that is our encouragement, is our identity in Christ. I do want to let folks know that Craig is talking to us via a Skype connection from the Dominican Republic, a fairly remote area of the Dominican Republic at that. They don't always have electricity, let alone a reliable Internet connection. So I do apologize if the call quality isn't always there. You may hear some static or some dropouts, some fading. And again, I apologize, but we are happy to talk to Craig in spite of all that. You started a church plant, Craig, in an area where voodoo was commonly practiced, and in fact, one of the earliest converts was a voodoo witch doctor. Since then, God has glorified himself by multiplying that church several times over. Can you take a few minutes and tell us about that and of your ministry overall there in the Dominican Republic? Yeah, I mean, we um, you're specifically talking about a young, or a young man. He was 70 when he came to know the Lord. <laughs> By the name of Tomas, Tomas was heavily involved in voodoo witchcraft, and we just began to love Tomas. We visited with him 
on, on an almost daily basis, sharing the hope of the gospel with Tomas. And after a little over a year, um, he we were sharing the story with Nicodemus and Tomas being an old man, he said, well, I'm with that guy. How can I enter into my, mother, my mother's womb a second time? And when we clearly just tried to lay out the gospel, Tomas said, that's what I want. I, I want Jesus. I want, to, I want Jesus to be my only Savior. He, he prayed then to receive Christ, and, and in his prayer, he began to pray for his wife and for his children and his family. And I believe that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see people coming to know Jesus, and then we see their oikos, their their friends and family around them um, begin to see the light, and God begins to multiply disciples through individuals as they reach out into their um, immediate network. And so our church in San Jose, where we started, uh, like I said, it was a rough year. We, we had a lot of people that attended the activities that we did, uh, but as far as conversions and true authentic fruit that we believe will last through eternity, it took a while. But we have since planted that first church in San Jose. It'll be four years old. Actually, um, Thursday, the church will be four years old. And since that time, she has um, duplicated herself in another area called La Rinconada, which is led by a young man that I've been discipling for about four or five years, Omar. That church, under the leadership of Omar, um, empowered strictly by indigenous Dominican men and women that have come to know the Lord, and that church has multiplied itself into five new communities. And so God is giving grace, God is giving fruit, and we're starting to see movement in the areas where when we arrived there, just to back up a little bit, there were zero Christians and zero churches in any of these communities that we were reaching out to. We're talking with Craig McClure. Craig is a missionary in the Dominican Republic. He's partnering with SCORE International. In addition to the church, a medical clinic, and a school, you've also built a water house there in the area. Now, Craig, as you know, we take clean water for granted here in the States, but you saw the need there firsthand through your own son. How desperate is the need for pure water among the people you minister to, and how do you use it to help people see the love of Christ? Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of different ministries taking place. Two or three years ago, a guy from Syracuse, New York, by the name of Joe Salvagni, came down and was sharing the story about how we have such a need for clean drinking water. We had a lady in our village that was attacked with a machete over a five-gallon bucket of water because we went two weeks without any fresh water. And when we were finally to get our hands on it, a guy robbed her and cut her pretty severely with the machete. My son, Joseph, although born in the Dominican Republic, he has American parents with Resources that most people in the community obviously don't have. But at the time, Joseph was probably two to three years old. Joanna had had to treat him for parasites a few different times. I won't get into the details of how disgusting that was, but it was pretty nasty. And so when I met with Joe and I shared these things with him, this, he's a guy that just jumps into action. And he um, raised support and provided us through the generosity of many donors and a ministry called Water at Work. We now have a water purification house on our property, capable of purifying about a thousand gallons of water per hour. And then we distribute that out, not only to our community, but also to about 18 different villages and within our network that we hope to church plant in. And that's all led by a young man by the name of KK, who came to know the Lord under our ministry, has been discipled, and is now in the role of pastor. So that's his income. But the, the point of the water is not necessarily to give the water. It reminds me of Jesus in Matthew... 14, I believe Jesus, he, he comes in and he looks at the people and he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. 
Um, he was meeting felt needs as an opportunity, as a platform to share the gospel and not bring just a temporary fix, but to bring an eternal fix through, obviously, the living water, you know, John 4, the Samaritan woman. But um, that's what we use the water for. It's uh, our saying is, donde te ofrecemos más que agua, where we offer you more than water. And our hope is that by providing clean drinking water to literally thousands of people in our network, we will be able to uh, offer them more than just water. We'll be able to offer offer them the hope of Jesus Christ. I know how much you enjoy the game of baseball, which, of course, is everywhere you turn in the Dominican Republic. You're working as a team chaplain for several of the major league organizations that are down there. For our listeners who have never been, they likely have no idea just how important that game is to the Dominicans. But it's not just a recreational thing, is it? Can you explain the opportunity which baseball presents for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, uh... Uh, I deeply love the game of baseball. It's funny, when I was called into missions, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be in Latin America where they play soccer. Um, and I'm a baseball guy. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then God placed us kind of in the baseball hub of Latin America. And I recognized very early in our ministry that uh, baseball was probably the greatest opportunity to gather a crowd and share the gospel. Dominicans, young men will drop out of school as early as 10 to 12 years old. Uh, and dedicate their entire lives to baseball. They'll play baseball all day, every day, because for them, it's not simply recreational. It's an opportunity to get off the island. It's an opportunity to escape poverty. And so we're able to come in, and we we bring in, obviously you've been down, many others have been down, and provided baseball clinics for these communities and teaching them bettering their baseball skills. But uh, for us, it's that's secondary. You know, we want them to be good ball players. We want them to um, to be successful there, but we want to use that as a platform. And so uh, most of them won't make it. Most of them will never get signed, and now they're unsigned, they're uneducated, and now what do they do? And so we just want to minister to them as a local church and and show them that there is a greater opportunity in, in Christ versus in baseball. Baseball is their God, and we want to show them that whether they eat or they drink, whatever they do, they should be doing it for the glory of God, and God can be magnified through baseball. You talked about many of the young people playing the game, putting everything into it as a means of escaping poverty, the hopes of their entire families often riding on it. How do they handle it when it doesn't happen for them? Is there a depression level perhaps that follows when those hopes and dreams go unrealized? As as you say, most of them are not going to play professionally, and they need to find work in another way. In our experience, in the demographic in which we work, you're talking about young men who lived on a dirt floor their entire life with no indoor plumbing, and they have these dreams of getting signed. And statistically, there's a lot that do make it, but the majority don't. And so I believe that our work with Baseball Chapel, like like you mentioned, I'm uh, the full-time chaplain for the Colorado Rockies affiliate here on the island. We go in and we do Bible studies with these baseball players every week. Sometimes we'll have 20 to 40 young men that have signed professional contracts, and the vast majority of them will be released in a three-year period. So then what happens? They go back into their villages. They go back into their communities as failures. They dive into alcoholism. They dive into other vices. And so we have an opportunity while they're at the academies to basically share with them that baseball is a secondary issue to try to encourage them to get their GEDs, to try to encourage them um, to remain sexually pure, find their identity in Jesus and not find their identity in baseball. And we have the opportunity to change a generation of young men coming out of these academies 
and falling into fathering multiple children with multiple women, alcoholics, and living um, very, very depressing lives back in their communities. Craig, every time I hear you preach, your passion for making disciples just shakes me and inspires me. And I know that you came to Christ as a youth. Would you mind telling us the circumstances surrounding your conversion, maybe more specifically, when you heard God's clear call to make disciples there in the Dominican Republic? Like most guys that come to know the Lord at that age, I went through high school with ups and downs. But I think the turning point in my personal walk with the Lord was when I was 18. I met Joanna when I was 16. We started dating when we were 16, and she'd spent the majority of her life in Monterey, Mexico. And when I turned 18, her parents took me with them to Monterey, Mexico on my very first mission trip. Now, to kind of set the table for this, you need to understand, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains in an all-white county. I went to an all-school in the South. I had no experience with any kind of cross-cultural anything uh, in my entire life. And when I crossed the border of McAllen, Texas, heading into Mexico, God, not audibly, but might as well have been audibly, said to me, Craig, this is what I put you on the planet to do, to be an ambassador to Latin America. I left that trip and came back to college where I'd anticipated, you know, maybe playing college baseball. That's kind of what I thought I was going to do. And I remember meeting with the coach in the parking lot of my dorm and said, Coach, God's called me to be a missionary. I'm going to study Spanish. I'm going to study abroad, and I'm going to the nations. Uh, Joanna already had language, and so she began to study nursing to use that as a platform. But I believe it, it all kind of centers around the Great Commission. We look at the Great Commission, we think the Great Commission is go. It's not. The Great Commission, the imperative there is to make disciples. And that's what we're about. We're not about church planting. We're not about medical missions. We're not about baseball ministry. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to equip people to complete the Great Commission and that they obey all that Christ Jesus has commanded. They find their joy in him. And God is glorified. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Great John Piper quote. And I believe that God is most glorified in disciple-making process. And so we've dedicated our lives to that. It is my greatest passion is to see self-feeding disciples making other disciples and to see generational growth in the multiplication of disciples here in the Dominican Republic. And so, like I said, you don't have to talk to me very long to know that that's my heartbeat. That's what gets me excited. And so uh, I'm just privileged to be able to do that. You're doing the hard work, Craig. You're the one who left home. You're the one who went. And, of course, our listeners can pray a necessary command from God. But how can they support you financially? Supporting probably the quickest way would be to go to the left corner, click on the search button, and just type in Craig or type in McClure, and it'll take you right to our donation page. And people can hear a little bit more about what we do, see mine and Joanna's testimony there, and it gives you the opportunity to donate if you feel led by the Lord uh, to do so. I think you cut out there just a little bit. Can, can you give us that website one more time? Yeah, the website is scoreintl.org. It's the Score International's website. Um, they handle all of our finances. It says scoreintl.org. We mentioned prayer. Do you have some specific needs that we can pray about for you? Yeah, uh, certainly. We're, we're working this year. We're dedicating most of our time to the equipping of uh, pastors and leaders in the disciple-making process. If the Great Commission is about making disciples, then do we have a strategy in place to do that? And so we're praying for um, leaders all across the island that are open and receptive to this training so that we can come in alongside of them and kind of do an Ephesians chapter 4 type of thing and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're praying for multiplication. We're praying for great work of God 
Um, right now, statistically, the Dominican Republic, a lot of people say, well, why aren't you in Haiti? Shouldn't you be in Haiti? Well, if you look at the numbers, there's only about 10 of the Dominican Republic is considered to be evangelical. And Haiti is up between 15 and 20 percent evangelical. And so when it comes to spiritual darkness, the Dominican is the darker side of the island, and we want to change that. We want to see God's glory magnified through the worship of his chosen people here on the island. So be praying for, for just, um, you know, the, the, the harvest is ripe, and we need laborers. That's what we're praying for. Greg, I want to thank you again for joining us. I thank you for your ministry there in the Dominican Republic. I appreciate you and appreciate your friendship. Yes, sir. I I deeply love you, my brother, and I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you um, shortly. That's Craig McClure joining us on the Beyond the Game program. Craig and Joanna and their two children are missionaries to the Dominican Republic. They are partnered with SCORE International. They would covet your prayers, I'm sure, and your financial support will go a long way, too. You can go to scoreintl.org, scoreintl.org. Search for Craig, Joanna, McClure, uh, any combination of those things, and you can find out more about them. You can help support them in their work, and and he is a man of God that is passionate, and I mean passionate, about making disciples. To hear him preach, he brings the truth, and I'll tell you, he is not deterred. That man has stood in the face of threats against the lives of his children, people on drugs, people uh, involved in witchcraft and voodoo that said that they would rape his wife, take a machete to his kids. It is disturbing some of the things he's dealt with, some of the stories I know, some of the stories I don't. God has protected that family, and he has a courage given by God, and he's very much in the center of God's will. Craig McClure joining us on Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. We'll be back right after this. (laughs) 